You're listening to the UBC Medicine Learning Network. Hello and welcome to the Center for Rural Health Research Podcast. I'm your host, Nicholas Lloyd Cusick. So in this episode is number three of our new podcast series, Innovation from the Edges, where we'll be exploring the resilience and ingenuity of rural and remote communities across BC in the face of the global COVID-19 pandemic. So today we're joined by Carrie Shard. Is it Shard or Chard? Chard, like Swiss. Chard. Got it. Okay. Carrie Chard, a resident of the district of Wells, where she also happens to be the fire chief. Uh, now, like in any place in rural BC or anywhere in the world, really, the District of Wells has to grapple with adapting their normal emergency response protocols and plans to fit with the COVID-19 challenge. You know, for example, uh, the need to maintain social distancing is pretty central to our new normal uh, way of doing just about everything. Uh, and one of the ways they've worked out to ensure people are getting the help they need is by producing or providing residents with a paper square. Uh, now, on one side of the square has a green check mark and the other side is a red X, which they're using to help you know, with socially distanced check-ins now. But before we get into any of that, uh, Carrie, thank you so much for taking time to be on our, our program today. I uh, really appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you reaching out. <laughs> We're at the, and, end of the uh, road, Nick. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I wonder, actually, if we could just start off by um, you telling me and our listeners about a little bit about Wells in the, in the area, just for those of us who haven't been. Okay, so uh, Wells, BC is known for its history as a mining community. Um, back in the 1920s, it was the booming during the, the Depression that was the big draw to the area. Um, it had a bigger population than Quinell and Prince George at the time when it was at its peak back in the 1920s. Uh, but now Wells is known for tourism, recreation in all seasons, winter, summer, spring and fall, uh, as well as arts and art studies with self-guided residencies, as well as a plethora of music and acting and theater. Um, it's a very diverse community. Uh, it's a very welcoming community. It's a great place to visit. It's a great place to live. And there's so much going on for a, a place of only, what, 250 or so people? Yeah, you said around there. there. Yeah. Wow. Plus or minus. You yeah. guys are punching above your weight for sure. Wow, <laughs> well done. Um, and I mean, you, you painted a pr- pretty vibrant, active community. And, um, you know, uh, I'm just kind of wondering, has the feeling in Wells changed substantially that you've noticed since the pandemic kind of started? And, and you know, how are people coping? Well, we are a very tight knit community. Like Wells is very social. We're very active with, uh, especially through the winter season. Um, And it is still winter here. I know that it's May, um, but we still have five feet of snow outside that's still waiting to thaw. Um, So it is a very tight knit community and we rely on theater and social gatherings and those kind of things to get you through the big winters because Mm. when the snow is sliding off your house and it's blocking the light in your windows, the only way to get light is to actually go outside and visit your neighbors and meet socially and do all those things. And once uh, the word was out that everybody had to isolate or socially distance, I was really tough on a small community that's extremely social. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and, and when it was announced, I don't know, I guess almost two months ago now, if you can believe that. Yeah. Um, it must have been all the snowier and all the winterier where you are. Oh, definitely. It was still very cold. And the su- I mean, when the sun shines here, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. So when we're socked in with mm-hmm. snow, it's dark and it's snowy. There's not a lot of daylight and people can go a little bit stir crazy in their houses. So not being able to go out and not being able to meet your yeah. neighbor or you know, go for a beer at the pub or 
go for dinner or those things that some people might only do once a week or once a month, but it's still giving you some place to go. Do you have a sense of how people uh, in Wells are kind of filling that, that void? Well, part of it is the program, the red check, green, right. or the red X green check, because mm -hmm. as people got to that point where they felt safe going outside their homes and walking, you know, people would go out with their kids and kind of count this, make sure everybody had their check mark or their X in their window. And, you know, oh, so-and-so's X is not there anymore. It's a green check mark. They've quarantined long enough after their trip or whatever it might be. And it became a, a natural buddy system, even though it, that was part yeah. of the program was to encourage that buddy system to check on your neighbor. Mm -hmm. um, but it became a natural thing for people, little kids that wanted to go outside because they weren't allowed to go to school anymore and all that other kind of stuff, wanted to go outside and count the X's. That's, that's an incredible to have such a, you know, amazing kind of, you know, natural community buy-in for one of these programs. I mean, it speaks to something we've heard, you know, time and time again from speaking with other people that, you know, some smaller communities have such incredible social fabric and, and, and resilience built into that. Everyone's looking out for each other. Um, and now that we've kind of, you know, already introduced it, uh, I wonder if you could actually just tell me a little bit more about the green check mark and, and red X program that you're talking about. So the district of what I saw it on Facebook, so it had to be true, but everybody, <laughs> everybody started doing, uh, just different symbols in their doorways and stuff like that to, to just let other people in the area know that they were okay. And mm trying to keep it simple, which the program just needs to be simple for it to be successful. Cause you can't get too complex into it. Uh, otherwise it, it kind of loses its resiliency to, yeah. to succeed. So it was this easy, right? Like it's a mm -hmm. standard size piece of paper one's bright green, one's bright red. If, um, if everything in your house was good, you had enough supplies because initially when the word came out, everybody needed to have everything for at least two weeks. Mm -hmm. We weren't sure what the future was going to look like. So you had enough supplies, you had enough medication, you had enough food, you had everything that you needed to last the next two weeks, if that's what the government was legislating, um, were you going to be okay? And the red X was uh, that you need assistance, you don't have enough supplies, uh, you might need medications from Quinell because we don't have pharmacies out here. Uh, you might be at risk because you're, um, you have some of the symptoms of the COVID. Um, or you've been on a trip and you're in quarantine. So if a fire breaks out at your house and the fire department needs to uh, come and assist with you coming out of the house, we need to know that you have the possibility of, of contracting, you know, the COVID virus. And we need to mm -hmm. make sure that we're protected uh, as firefighters. So. Absolutely. How, how have people been, you know, reaching out to their, their neighbors or, I mean, I'm a, maybe everyone has each other's phone number and things like that. Uh, but how was the kind of the protocol? So let's say someone does have a red X. How does their neighbor or or maybe you, uh, you know, check in on them? So initially, uh, a letter went out from the District of Wells that had it was an information letter that explained to you what the green check mark meant and what the red check mark meant mm. at that time because it was very new to all of us. So we were trying to be as extremely detailed. So um, and if for any reason you were going to post a red X, you needed to contact the District of Wells. And let them know why you had the red X. And some people were actually mm. writing it on their X so you could walk up to their door and read, you know, why they had posted their red X. Um, but there was a compiled list at the District of Wells of why such and such an address had a red X in their window. So 
And then that information was distributed to whoever needed to know. So it was either BC Ambulance, the RCMP, um, or the fire department, or anybody you know, who might be running to Cornell that could get this person some supplies, or that they needed help with medications, or that they were physically unable to get themselves out of the house if there was an emergency. Like it, it was a range of things. It wasn't mm-hmm. just COVID, but a lot of it was COVID-related. So something that was kind of actively monitored by yes. the district the whole time. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, have there been any kind of challenges you, you've run into in terms of running this program, um, whether it's, you know, managing the, the demand or, uh, you know, making sure it's running smoothly or things you would have maybe done differently? The only challenge that I could really tell you that came out of it was encouraging people to reach out and ask for help. Mm. You know, like everybody wants to be independent. Nobody wants to be a burden on anybody. Um, but it, we're offering these services and lots of us travel to and from Cornell on a regular basis, or we know somebody who does. So there's no need to expose yourself if somebody else can help you out. And the community already does that. We have lots of people who don't have vehicles who either need a ride in from somebody else or, Hey, you're going to the grocery store. Could you pick me up my five necessities that maybe a local business in town here doesn't stock. Um, So that was already a normal thing for us as a rural community. So Mm -hmm. Um, the toughest part was just getting people to ask for help. Um, cause there really, there really was no blockages for anything. Like there was nothing standing in our way. We, we freely gave out phone numbers and email addresses. Mm. Uh, people knew which door to knock on. Everybody knows where everybody lives. Um, but the passion that Wells has for the sense of community, um, that nobody gets left behind. Like we, we sat and discussed as groups or as a group from a distance um, either on Zoom or through emails, trying to figure out who the highest at-risk people were that wouldn't reach mm-hmm. out for help. But a lot of times, those are the people that are already set up to live for two weeks, four weeks, six weeks with people sure. going to town, right? Now, I mean, you kind of you you have a an interesting perspective on this whole thing. Naturally, as kind of a first responder and as fire chief, uh, and I'm wondering if you know kind of hoping to tap into your 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 perspective in terms of the emergency response community. Um, you know, what's been the general feeling, uh, you know, throughout this pandemic and how it's maybe maybe it's evolved because we've kind of gone through a couple of different phases. Right. I mean, you mentioned before um, in the first couple of weeks, everyone's kind of surprised. No one really knows what to do and what to expect. And now I think we're maybe past that a little bit. We're kind of getting used to the new normal, the way things are. Um, and I'm curious to hear from your perspective about, you know, the a lot of communities have, you know, emergency response committees that are, you know, their town and the surrounding towns and things like that. And. Um, I'm wondering if you have a similar experience and can tell us a bit more about how that's been feeling. Well, I can talk on behalf of the fire hall and the firefighters. Uh, The toughest part for us was not having fire practice because we were Mm. encouraged to not socially gather. And not only is, do we go to the fire hall and we do fire training exercises as a group, but it's a very close knit group because you're trusting each other with each other's lives. Anytime that you go to an emergency, um, but we weren't allowed to do that anymore. So one person goes to the fire hall, one person goes and does safety checks, one person does, you know, the radio checks and all that other kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. that for people who that's what they look forward to every week was to go to fire practice and belong to a group that was, that was tough as, as well as socially isolating or socially distancing. And so you're losing that feeling of community. You're, you're losing that feeling of belonging to the group that you've volunteered to uh, as well as now you're stuck possibly in your house that's buried in, 
eight feet of snow. <laughs> yeah, that's the, that's the real wrinkle. It's a big, in, right? it's, it's a big shocker. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the the group that came together as the emergency response group uh, with the District of Wales, the RCMP, the gov- the local government group, uh, as well as uh, BC Ambulance, you know, mm. it was fast. We sent out an email. We met the next morning. We came up with a plan. The District of Wales did all the paperwork that we needed done. They became the control center where everybody would feed their information to. And it was fast and furious and it was easy. We have some amazing leaders in our community and not just emergency responders, but overnight businesses turned to not a business, but a service to the community. So local restaurants, uh, local, our little local gas station, grocery stores, um, all of those things that had to close their doors immediately, like when the word came out, became a servers to the community. And it wasn't about how much money can I make? It was about how can we help everybody in our community? Mm. And one of the, the things that kind of came out of that is because we do have people at risk in our community, uh, maybe just low income or whatever it might be, uh, hard times, doesn't really matter. But we have a food bank program that we run in, um, partnership with Barkerville uh, through the Victorian Christmas with donations, food hampers and food, and there's no money involved. It just come bring a donation. And that all goes into our local food bank through the Legion. Well, that usually only happens at Christmas time. So we had a little bit of excess of canned goods. So we put all that together. Then we got into a partnership with Barkerville gold mines as well as Barkerville. And one of the local restaurant businesses, along with a camp service business, um, created a food bank and we were going to start delivering food to people at risk with help by the RCMP was doing deliveries. Some of the camp services group was doing deliveries and it was like Christmas all over again, you know, making sure that everybody, (laughs) making sure everybody was supplied with what they needed. And it's not just food, right? It could be clothing. It could be shelter. It could be anything. Yeah. I mean, and, and you've touched on, I mean, kind of two sides of the same coin. I mean, there's a lot of concern everywhere uh, about, you know, small businesses and and the impact that this pandemic is having on businesses. Um, but you've also touched on the fact that a lot of businesses have mobilized and, and you know, really contributed in a very strong way to the response in, in, in any community, big or small. And I'm wondering, I mean, I kind of put you on the spot a little bit and ask, you know, what do you think life is going to be like in Wells um, after COVID. How do you think things are going to change? I mean, there's, there's, the, there's, the, there's a piece of, you know, potentially some concerns around businesses and things, but there's also a, a kind of a, a, an underscoring of the, the strength in, in community and, and kind of, you know, philanthropy, everyone looking out for each other uh, that these crises kind of bring about. So I'm wondering if you have any thoughts about what it's going to be like in Wells after this. Well, because we're such a, a tourist-based area between the Bower and Lake area and the Bower and Lake circuit, uh, Wells being an artistic, musical, theatrical, mining community, like it, it's a big draw to the area with Barkerville and just the area is so beautiful. And everybody became very protective of our area because we still had people coming out because we, you're able to socially distance out here. You can walk two minutes from your house and be in the middle of nowhere. So socially distancing is quite easy. So, but there was people flocking to the area and we weren't sure that we wanted them in the area because, you know, what are they bringing with them? So 
everybody became very protective of our area, our residents, our businesses. You know, yes, you want people to come into your community and help build the commerce of your community, but at what risk, right? Mm -hmm. we, don't, we don't know where people are coming from. In the summertime, we have so many international tourists that come that we know this year isn't going to happen. Um, so everybody became very protective and slowly but surely the onions being peeled back and we're, you know, allowing people to come in and we're allowing each other to socially distance in a group of two people standing out on the street talking and mm -hmm. people are talking from the street to the front window, you know, trying to just get a feeling of what it's like to have human contact with other than the people that you're trapped in your house. <laughs> yeah, of course. So, I almost forget what that's like. Moving forward, we know that we have lots of open spaces to share, and um, but we're just very hesitant on, you know, how that's going to look. I know that for the uh, uh, Easter long weekend, there's lots of small rural communities that people have summer homes and stuff like that in, and they're saying, don't come, you know, and, and we're saying come, but just just respect what we have, respect what we have to offer, respect our businesses and our people in our community because we want you here because this is the best place to heal. We have blue skies. Mm. We have lots of snow. We have tons of trees. We have the most beautiful place on earth really. And lots of stuff to visit and experience. Just remember that everything is still uncertain, right? Mm -hmm. And of course with that uncertainty, it's, it's understandable that people would feel a sense of vulnerability and and maybe a little bit of worry um and i'm just kind of curious what what gives you hope well the sense of the local heroes like the local the heroes the leaders the businesses that have stepped up to switch overnight like we have businesses that are run by one or two people they don't have staff in the winter time but to try and give people a little normalcy to their life. They switched from a sit down restaurant to a delivery restaurant. And there's, you know, knock three times, drop the bag on the front doorstep and there's your food for the day. And using social media, uh, well, social media, without it, I'm sure everybody would have went totally crazy in the mm. world. Um, mm. Because to be able to see people come together and even in our small community to watch people come together, um, to support the businesses that were doing those things and then those businesses to support the community um, was, it's, it's an amazing thing, you know? So moving forward, seeing locals supporting locals and like we have a, a local business that actually brought in uh, more of an inventory of different items that they don't normally carry just so people didn't have to expose themselves and go to the city for different kinds of groceries. There's only like a certain amount of stuff that they carry, you know, stuff that's not, not very perishable, but they encourage their distributor to deliver more perishable type items and then encourage people locally to just come and get it at their local location instead of going to the city if they didn't have to. Mm -hmm. And they didn't have to do that. They did that as a mm -hmm. service to the community. So, and it's just, it's just so, gives you faith in humanity, right? And yeah, it does. And, uh, you know, one of the things that, I mean, I think all, I speak for all of us at the Center for Rural Health Research. We, we're, we're, you know, always inspired by these kind of stories, especially now. And we're hearing so many of them. And, you know, from our perspective, uh, there is so much to give 
to give hope and, and, and to still feel pretty awesome about. Um, and I guess on that note, it's a perfect kind of place to end today's episode. <laughs> um, and so, uh, so thank you so much, Carrie, for joining us. I mean, you, you've given us a lot of insight and a lot of wonderful experience. We really appreciate it. Oh, anytime. <laughs> and so for our listeners out there, you can find this recording in future episodes on the Center for Rural Health Research website at crhr.med.ubc.ca. I know that's really long. Uh, so if you're like me, you can just type CRHR into Google and it'll come up. Um, you can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify if you search for CRHR or Center for Rural Health Research. Uh, thank you for listening and stay safe out there. This has been a presentation of the UBC Medicine Learning Network. 